This is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church greeting you. The warm-hearted church with a heartwarming message, the family church. In light of the coronavirus pandemic, we will be bringing you a special service. Sing with us, pray with us, and follow the message in God's Word. Psalm 34, verses 1 through verse 5 say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him, and they were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. We encourage all believers to continue to pray during the coronavirus pandemic. Pray that there would be a spiritual revival in the United States. Pray that many will be saved during this pandemic. Pray for our communities. Pray for our nations. And pray for our missionaries. The choir will open our service by singing, Your Love Awakens Me.
And now Penny Harris, Cheryl Howman, and Carol Johnson will come and sing, You Are My Song. We now have Jeremy Hedrick playing on the trumpet. We worship you, Almighty God. Thank you. 
Here now is Andrew Greenleaf singing Trust in You. Now we have Nancy McClellan coming to play in the piano, Praise Medley.
I want to thank all our musicians and singers for providing us with such beautiful and Christ-centered music. Our sermon topic is Grace is the Answer. I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through verse number 10. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We sing about God's grace. This morning we're going to talk about God's grace. We sing about it, we can read in God's word, but do we truly understand that grace? We sing about it. Think about the hymn, Amazing Grace, stanza one. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. The second stanza says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed." In the third stanza says, "'Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." And if you're familiar with the testimony of John Newton, it truly was God's amazing grace that saved him. What about the hymn, Grace, Tis a Charming Sound? The first stanza, Grace, Tis a Charming Sound, Harmonious to the Ear. Heaven with the echo shall resound, and all the earth shall hear. And the chorus says, Saved by grace alone, this is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind, and Jesus died for me. My hope is in the Lord. The fourth stanza of that great hymn. His grace has planned it all. Tis mine but to believe, and recognize his work of love and Christ receive. The word grace appears six times in the hymn, Amazing Grace. The word grace appears seven times in the hymn, Grace tis a charming sound. Six times in the stanzas and one time in the chorus. And the word grace appears just once. My hope is in the Lord. We can read about the word grace in the Bible. The word grace absolutely appears in the Word of God. Grace is a biblical word which appears some 170 times in the complete Word of God. It appears in 13 of the 39 Old Testament books. It appears in 23 of the 27 New Testament books. All of the 13 epistles of the Apostle Paul begin and end with the word grace. Here's a question for you. Which are the four New Testament books where the word grace does not appear? 
According to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2, we are living in the dispensation of all grace. We're not living under the Mosaic law. We're not under the dispensational law. We're not in the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period. We're not living in the millennial kingdom. We are living in the dispensation of all grace. It is all about God's grace. God's grace saves us. God's saving grace. Here's a simple outline of Ephesians chapter 2. You have the past condition, verses 1 through verse 3. The present position or the new condition, verses 4 to verse number 10. Ephesians 2, 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The walking dead. Remember, the word death means separation. It does not mean soul sleep or annihilation. It simply means separation. And there are four types of death in the Word of God. Physical death, Genesis chapter 5. If you go back and read there, this individual begot these children, begot these children, and he died. And then this person lived so many years and begot sons and daughters, and they died, and this person died. Truly, you have the ringing of the death bell in Genesis 5. That's physical death. Then there's spiritual death. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 17, God told Adam, For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Yet we find out from Genesis chapter 5 that Adam lived to be 930 years. Genesis 2 is not talking about physical death, but spiritual death. Again, remember the word death means separation. Physical death, the immaterial, the soul and spirit separate from the body. Spiritual death means we're separated, we're alienated from the life of God which is in Christ Jesus. And then the second death, that's the eternal death. That's found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through verse number 15, to be eternally separated from God. And that's, those individuals die, their soul and spirit separate from the body, doesn't go to be with the Lord, goes to hell, then hell is going to be cast over, hell and Hades can be cast over in the lake of fire. This is the second death, an eternal separation. And then there's another aspect of death, and the word death, and people don't look at this. But in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, Awake thou that sleepeth, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You see this also in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. That's being dead to the things of God. Ephesians five fourteen is not talking about an exhortation for a person to get saved. It's talking about those who are believers. They're alive physically. They're alive spiritually. But as it is, they're dead to the things of God, and they need to be Awakened, The undead, the unsaved are alive physically, but they are dead spiritually to God. They are separated from the life of God, which is in Christ Jesus, because of the hardness of their hearts, and they need to be made alive. And that's why Ephesians 2, you who were dead in trespass and sin, and when you read verse number 2 then, wherein in times past you walked, you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of power of the air, that's Satan. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. You walked. The unsaved, the walking dead, they're alive physically, but they're dead spiritually to God because they're separated from the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was our position. This was my position before I trust the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. 
This was your position before you trusted Christ. You've never trusted Christ. This is your position now, the walking dead. And there's but one answer for you, and that is to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you drop down to verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, with he loved us. Ephesians 2, 4 is a simple statement. That salvation is from God and not by any human works or any religious activity. The word, but God, changes man's destiny from an eternal death to an eternal life. Liberals who do not believe in God, do not believe in the God-breathed, inspired Word of God. They believe that it was written by some man. Think on Ephesians 2, 4. Let me reread this. Let the Word sink into your heart and mind, but God. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love with the loved us. What does it not say? It doesn't say, but man or but by my religion, or but by my good works, or but my baptism. And there's an absolute difference. Think upon this. Again, the liberal position, and so many people believe that the Bible is just written by man over a course of time, and so these are just man's opinions, and that they created this religion, Christianity, and none of this really ever happened. Think about Ephesians 2, 4. It's but God. If man wrote that, it would be but man. And there's an absolute difference between biblical Christianity and man-made religion. Man-made religion reaches their hands up to God, saying to God, and, and believing that God should accept me because I'm really not that bad. I try my hardest. I've done some good deeds. I've done this. I've done this. I've been water baptized. All these things. You should accept me into heaven. Biblical Christianity is God reaching down to mankind and showing mankind that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I love you, and my son died on the cross for you, that through his death, and resurrection, that you can have eternal life. But God. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through verse 8 say these words. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet pre-adventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Listen to this. I hope you're following along in your Bibles. Romans 5.8 says, But God, but God commended, God introduced, God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, not the good guy, not the self-righteous person, the sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches, the riches of His grace. There's the word grace again. What's the definition of the word grace? Grace means the unmerited, the undeserved favor of God bestowed upon those who deserve nothing but judgment. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. The word through faith speaks of the instrument or means whereby a sinner avails himself of salvation. It's very important that you follow along and think about what we want to, and what I want to share with you. The word that... 
that not of yourselves is in the neuter gender. Both faith and grace are feminine nouns. You might say, what does that mean? The word that does not agree with either grace or faith in gender. It cannot be modifying. Therefore, that not of yourselves is not referring to either grace or faith. You see, there are some people who believe that the gift of God in Ephesians 2.8 is faith. That they believe that we understand the issue of total depravity, Romans chapter 3, absolutely. But they believe that God gives you the gift of faith to believe, and then you'll be saved. Well, there are several problems with that. And one of the problems is if you look at their order of salvation, if that's true, then when God gives you the gift of faith, you, you are saved before you even believe. And that's not the order you see in Scripture. I remind you of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12 and verse 13, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. It's the gospel of your salvation, whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Did you see the order there? You also trusted after you heard the word of truth. It's the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believed. You believed. The Philippian jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The gift of God is not faith in Ephesians 2.8. The gift of God is salvation. Salvation is the gift of God and does not find its source in man. We know that Romans 6.23. Turn there. Look at Romans 6.23. Follow along. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The definition of gift is something given voluntarily, listen, without payment in return as to show favor towards someone, honor an occasion, or make a gesture of assistance or a present. It's the act of giving. It's something given voluntarily without payment in return. A gift expects no compensation. If someone's giving a gift and they expect compensation for that gift, then it would no longer be a gift. So if you're giving a gift to a loved one and you expect the person to give you the money back to cover the cost of the gift, it's no longer a gift. God's gift is eternal life. God is offering salvation. He is offering eternal life through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, and if we believe and trust Him for salvation, God will save us immediately. Salvation is not of works. It's not of religious activities. It's not of good deeds. Otherwise, God would be rewarding us. If you're listening, you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. Maybe as the world is going through, and in the United States, and our state, and our community is going through COVID-19 pandemic. You're looking for an answer. Maybe you feel despair this moment. Maybe you feel in a hopeless situation. I share with you God, and I point you God and God's love. 
This reminds us and we see this pandemic and we see the death toll continually rising here in the United States and throughout the world. Numbers that are hard for us to even comprehend. That shows the frailty of human life. And if you will simply come to God and confess that you're a sinner and trust and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, God will save you. The gift of God. And the gift expects no compensation. The gift of God is salvation. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, And hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Verse 4, But hath in due times manifest his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Romans chapter 4 verse 4 and 5, To him that worketh is reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, literally to the person who stops working, but believeth on him, that justifieth, the word justified means to be declared righteous. The ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We're going to talk a little bit later about Abram in Genesis chapter 15. But to the person who stops working, but doesn't perform religious activities, not about baptism or something else, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted, it's going to be imputed for righteousness. Ephesians 2, 9 says, It's not of works as any man should boast. The preposition of in the Greek language means from the origin of, or from the source of. Salvation is not from the origin or from the source of human works. You might be thinking, what about Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and James chapter 2, verse 24. I'd encourage you to look at these. Have these verses of Scripture opened in your Bible. Let's read James chapter 2, verse 21 through verse 24. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith that Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then, listen to verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through verse 3. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. How can you reconcile the seeming difference between James chapter 2 verse 24, by works a man is justified and not by faith only, in Romans 4, 1 through verse 5, and Ephesians 2, 9, that says it's not of works. Some try to explain it this way. They believe that in Romans chapter 4, justification is before man. And in James chapter 2, that justification is before the world. Question. Go back and read Genesis chapter 22, verse 2 to verse 5. I'm going to raise the question and I'll read those verses of Scripture for you. Who saw 
If you want to say that James is talking about man before the world, who saw that Abraham was willing to offer up Isaac, his son? Genesis 22, verses 2 to 5. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, this is God speaking to Abraham, whom thou lovest, and get thee in the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Question. Who saw that Abraham was willing to offer up Isaac, his son. Beside God. Those young men weren't there. The servants weren't there. Abraham and Isaac, but there was no one else. The two young men who Abraham had taken, they traveled so far, and Abraham told them to stay here, and we're going to go further to worship God, and we're going to come back. Well, what's the answer? What is the difference between James 2.24 and Romans chapter 4 verse 1 to 5 and Ephesians 2.9? Remember, the book of Romans became the, the battle cry for justification by faith during the Protestant Reformation. They stood up and said, we're justified by faith only in the finished work of the cross. That led some people to even think that the book of James was like a straw epistle. That really wasn't inspired of God and it somehow found its way in the scripture. That's not an answer. The difference is that there are two different points in the life of Abraham. Remember, Abram, his name means the exalted father. Abraham, the father of the multitudes. Abram, in Genesis 15, 1-6, Abram was an uncircumcised Gentile from the land of the Ur of Chaldees. And in case you're not aware of it, that is the southern part of modern-day Iraq. Abraham. His name was changed from Abram to Abraham. He became the father of the multitudes. And remember, in Genesis chapter number 22, we're not going to take the time to cross-reference this in Chronicles, but the land, the Mount Moriah. Do you realize where you're at? Later, David is going to get that land, buy that land, and he, that's where Solomon's going to build the temple, and Mount Moriah is where? That, 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 where, where Abram, Abraham was willing to offer up Isaac, his son, later would become what? The place of the holy of holies. Absolutely. It's a dispensational answer. Abram had an effect on two programs. Abram dealing with today. When we come to God, we bring nothing. Abram didn't bring anything. Go back and read Genesis 15, 1 to 6. He, he had no heir. He and Sarai had no children. Is Eliezer of Damascus my heir? No. Look, look to the stars, so shall thy seed be. And what did Abram do? He believed God. He didn't bring a sacrifice. He didn't bring money. He didn't bring anything. He believed. He took God's word. He said, Amen, God, so be it. I believe it. 
And what he believed was not about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, obviously. He believed what God said about the stars of heaven. That's why his name is going to be changed to Abraham, the father of the multitudes. Lest any man should boast. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 9. I hope, I hope that explains the difference between James chapter number 2 and dealing with Romans chapter 4. It's a dispensational answer. And it's understanding the difference between Abram and Abraham and the difference between the prophetic program and the mystery program, the church, the body of Christ. Lest any man should boast. And that's part of Ephesians 2.9. And this is, for a moment, look at the same Greek word for boast and how it is translated in some other portions of Scripture. If you go to Romans chapter 5, and you read verse 2, verse 3, verse 11, and you see the word rejoice, you see the word glory, you see the word joy. Do you have that in your Bible? You're looking at your Bible and see these words. The word rejoice, the word rejoice, the word glory, the word joy is absolutely in the original language the same word as boast. If you look at 1 Corinthians one twenty nine, the word glory, verse 31, the word glory, glorieth. And over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9, the word glory, same word, same word. It's not of works as any man should boast, any man should rejoice, any man should glory, any man should joy. God's grace saves us. It's about God's grace. We place our faith, we, we know the instrument we, is through faith, faith alone, not faith in something else. But we trust the Lord Jesus Christ and God saves us. So God's amazing grace saves us. Then we, today, in the dispensation of grace, we live for God by His grace. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship. We, we are His workmanship. Creating Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The word for renders the reason for the statements in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For explains why this salvation is not of human origin or human works. The reason is that we, the recipients of salvation, the saved believers, are God's workmanship. Believers are God's workmanship. The word workmanship means something made, the result of work. In fact, we get our English word poem from this specific Greek word. We are God's poem. We are God's poetry. We are. That's, that's the believer. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, down through verse number 14, state these words. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify into himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So in verse number 11, it talks about the grace of God. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, in verse number 12, what, what, 
What is the teacher? Who is the teacher? What is teaching us? And the teacher, the instructor, is what? It's God's grace in verse number 11. God's grace teaches us how we ought to be living, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Think with me to the parable of the Good Samaritan for a moment, and we'll tie that in to what we see here. The parable of the Good Samaritan is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through verse number 37. We're going to read a portion of this. And think upon these words, and we will make a connection here in a moment. Verse 29, But he willing to justify himself said to Jesus, And who's my neighbor? And Jesus answering and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came a certain priest, listen to these words, that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at his place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So a priest and a Levite saw this individual and passed by him. But a certain Samaritan, verse 33, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and he gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, the priest, the Levite, the good Samaritan, which one do you think was a neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. It wasn't the Levite or the priest. It it was the good Samaritan. And a Samaritan would be the most despised person. Think about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You have to go back to the end and dealing with the kings. Found in 2 Kings 17. Because the Samaritans were half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. So they were hated. But it was the Samaritan who showed compassion on the man that fell among the thieves. Matthew chapter 22 says these words, beginning of verse 34. And remember, Matthew chapter number 22, three groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the Rhodians come together. And the reality is they're a bunch of hypocrites. They're Jews, but they don't get along theologically. The Herodians, everything's fine. Don't, don't, don't get upset. We're under Herod, but we don't care. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. They did not believe in angels. In fact, they, did not, they only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They only accepted Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what we call the Pentateuch. So if you're going to quote scripture to them and you quote it from Psalms or David or Daniel, didn't mean anything because they didn't believe that was the word of God. 
Why is that important? Not going to take the time, but look at the question they raise concerning resurrection and look what portion of Scripture Christ quotes to them. It's one of those five books. So powerful. The Pharisees believed in the Old Testament, but they also believed in the oral law that was equal to or even more important than the written law. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. So the Herodians had asked the question, the Sadducees had asked the question, now the Pharisees come. For when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. So the Lord silenced the Sadducees. He silenced the Herodians. They were trying to entrap them. And again, hypocrisy. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, who was an expert in the law of Moses, asked him a question, tempting him. See, they're not seeking truth. And saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love, listen to these words, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Of these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And you might be thinking, what is the point? What are you trying to point out? The Pharisees knew the law of Moses. They knew they were to love God and to love their neighbor as themselves. Why then? Why then did the priests and the Levites have no part of the man who fell among the thieves who was robbed and beaten up? Didn't the law tell them to love him? And who followed the law? It was not the priest or the Levite. It was the Samaritan. The law said, love thy neighbor. That's what it said. But it did not empower them to love their neighbor. What the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God's grace absolutely provides. And if you go back and read that portion of Scripture found in Titus, Titus 2.12, teaching us, God's grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Remember the Old Testament law had three parts. The moral, the civil, the ceremonial. It was relationship to self, relationship to neighbor, and relationship to God. Soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It's God's grace that teaches us how to live today. Certainly not the law. We're not living in the dispensation of law. Law law is good. The law is holy. The law is righteous. It's perfect. But what the law could not do, because it was weak through the flesh, God's grace does today. You read over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Remember, 2 Timothy's last, God's last epistle is going to write through the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul is going to be martyred. And he's writing to young Timothy as it were, the baton's being passed. And he's telling them in the last days, there are going to be perils, there are going to be fierce, there are going to be savage. These are going to be hard times. And it begins saying, what? Men shall be lovers of their own selves. And some may believe in some Bible commentaries write and say, well, this is talking about homosexuality and look at the rise of homosexuality in our community, in our nation, in the world. That's not what it's talking about. We, we, we understand that homosexuality is wrong. We, we understand and know, we should know what the Bible teaches. Men lovers of their own selves. 
What are they not doing? They're not loving others. And what does Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 say? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And we're not to look after our things. We're to look after the things, the needs of others. And when we do that, we're demonstrating the mind of Christ. When we do that, we're demonstrating love. When we do that, what does Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 tell us? The fruit of the Spirit is love. What the law could not do. God's grace absolutely provides. So that's why we went back to Luke chapter 10 with the parable of the Good Samaritan and then went over to Matthew and wanted to show you what the Pharisees said. And they were trying to entrap Christ and he answers their question. Two laws, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's God's grace that absolutely teaches us that. See, God's amazing grace. And we're going to continue, Lord willing, looking at this next week. And I'll give you the verse of Scripture that I would love you to read and think upon this week. Ephesians 2, 5 says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised, listen to these words, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. What, what does that mean? We're going to talk about God's grace and God's amazing grace that saves us. God's riches at Christ's expense. The unmerited, the undeserved favor of God bestowed upon those who deserve nothing but the judgment of God. That's God's amazing grace. We sing about it, we read about it, but do we truly, truly appreciate, understand it, knowing that we're saved by God's grace? And then afterwards, for Christians, salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ living His life in and through us. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? If you've never trusted Him, listen to me. Read God's words. Listen to what God says. Not what man says, not what a religion says, not even what I'm saying. Look to God's word and read Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, it's not of works. Lest any man should boast. Read Romans six twenty three. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Read Romans chapter 4. Read Romans chapter 3. Look at those verses of Scripture where the righteousness of God is unto all and upon all them that believe. Read to the end. Look at at that great conclusion found in Romans chapter 3. No wonder why. No wonder why that Romans and Galatians became the battle cry for the Protestant Reformation and sharing and preaching of justification by faith. If you never trust the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you need to trust Him right now, right where you're at, before it's eternally too late. One thing we realize because of COVID-19, this pandemic, of the frailty, how fragile human life is, the question is, where will your death take you? Where will it lead you? Do you have the absolute assurance, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you have that absolute assurance that if something were to happen to you, 
You know, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If you don't, you need to trust Him right now, right where you're at, before it's eternally too late. And for us who are believers, as we continue going through COVID-19, we look to God, we look to God's strength, God's grace. God's grace teaches us how to live. God's grace is abundant for us. And God's grace is sufficient for all of our needs, all of our concerns. We continue, and I exhort you to continue to be praying for our country, be praying for each other, encouraging each other during this time, and be that lighthouse to this unsaved world because they need the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You have been listening to the Altoona Bible Church. We trust that you received a real spiritual blessing from this service. It is our prayerful desire that you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. So until we meet again by radio, this is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church. Wish you God's best for now and for all eternity.